This morning you'll notice by the screen that we are taking a two-week ceasefire from our Culture Wars series. Over the last number of weeks this summer, we have been looking at and discussing some pretty difficult but important topics. And so if you've been away at all this summer and you've missed any of those conversations, can I encourage you to go and to watch those or listen to them? Because they are really important conversations, and I would hate for you to miss out. In week two of our ceasefire, like Pastor John already mentioned, we have an online backyard service for you. Our inspiration for doing this, like John said, is that we want to be the kind of church that doesn't take the summers off. But instead, we find creative ways to continue to gather together. Like John said, online community is real community. And we find creative ways to worship together. So we're really looking forward to logging online and worshiping together through that medium. So to kick off our two-week ceasefire, I thought before we head out to the lake or to the backyard or to wherever you find yourself in the coming weeks, I thought that we could take a little bit of a summer road trip. Now, because would it really be summer if we didn't take any road trips? I love the image of a road trip because I'm sure most of us have fond road trip memories. As I'm looking out, I see a couple of you smiling, and I'm sure there are some great stories behind those. And I'm sure if we took the opportunity to spend our morning passing the mic around, I'm sure we would hear some amazing stories. I'm sure we would hear some really incredibly funny stories. I can remember growing up that our first real family vacation, other than camping, was a road trip to Calgary. I remember being in grade six, and on the last day of school, we loaded up in our green station wagon, and we headed out west. We stopped in Drumheller and toured the Badlands and the T-Rex Museum. As a kid, I was a huge fan of Jurassic Park, and so that was an awesome experience. When we got to Calgary, we went to Callaway Park. Does anyone remember Callaway Park? A few people, yeah. If you're not sure what Callaway Park is, it is an amusement park just outside of Calgary. It's here at Callaway Park that at a very young age, I discovered that I am absolutely not a ride guy. Like, I don't like rides at all. Like, if we were to go to the X together, I would be super happy to hold your backpack and purse while you went on the ride. Like, that's who I am. Like, I wish I still had the picture of my sister and I on this roller coaster. And if you've been there, you know that it's a pretty wimpy roller coaster. But if you look at the picture, all you can see on my face is absolute terror. And if you look even closer in the picture, you can see my knuckles are white from holding on for dear life. So I am not a ride person. But I survived. I'm here. I made it. And after that roller coaster experience, we did the most amazing thing. We drove through the mountains for the first time in my life. And we stopped in Banff and did all of the touristy things. And it was just amazing to see the awesomeness of God's creation. This road trip for me was almost 18 years ago, but I still look back at it super fondly. And again, I'm sure if I asked you, you would have a road trip story to share. Perhaps you and your family loaded up in a minivan and traveled all the way to Disneyland. Or maybe you've taken a trip to visit a relative who lives far away. 
Whatever the destination was, I'm sure that there are stories connected to the journey. So I love the image of a road trip as we enter into our time together. Because I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is full of road trip stories. One of the greatest stories ever told in Israel's history is one large road trip. A road trip full of twists and turns and are we there yet statements. And like your children, the children of Israel are constantly asking their heavenly father for snacks. If you don't know what story I'm talking about, it's the journey to the promised land. Or we could look at the story of Jonah as a little bit of a reluctant road trip. But I'm sure if we asked him, he would probably say it was more of a cruise. Or we could look at Jesus' ministry as one long road trip with 12 of his buddies, where they went from city to city experiencing and doing the most amazing things. My point is, is that the Bible is full of these kinds of stories. And they're stories that lend themselves to hitting the open road. So this morning, I want us to take a journey on the road. And I want to explore one of the greatest road trips in human history. When we look at the whole of Scripture, I don't think that there is a road story that holds more significance to us as followers of Jesus. When we look at this story, there are few road trip stories to match it. Author N.T. Wright said that this story is both wonderful, unique, and spellbinding. But it is also a model, in his words, for a great deal of what being a Christian is all about. That sounds like a really important road trip, if you ask me. So of all of the road trip stories in the Bible, and again, there are lots, which one are we going to look at? Well, it is none other than the road to Emmaus story. If you're unfamiliar with this story, it is found in Luke chapter 24. To give you a little bit of context, this story happens a few days after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Two of his disciples are heading home after the Passover festival on a day that would become known as Resurrection Sunday. If you don't know this story, spoiler alert. But if you know this story, you know that some of Jesus' followers went to the tomb and discovered that his body wasn't there. And that Jesus had, in fact, raised from the dead. However, the two disciples in our story are still trying to make sense of what has happened that past weekend. And their road trip starts with a pretty low mood. But by the time they reach their destination, that all changes. So let's pick up the story there. It's a bit of a long story, so I'm already going to thank you for your patience and your attention. So let's start the story at Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
Like, seriously, you're the only one that must not know these things. What things, Jesus asked? Like, Jesus must have an absolute smirk on his face. Like, they're talking to the resurrected Jesus about the resurrected Jesus. This is really funny. About Jesus of Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned to Jerusalem at once. So they just got home. It's evening. They're having supper. They witness Jesus, and they head out on another road trip back to Jerusalem. So I made some pretty grand statements. So how or why is this story so important? How is this the greatest road trip in history? What is it about this story that should matter to us? To build my case a little bit further here, N.T. Wright rates this story right up there with the prodigal son. He says, if, this, if the story of the prodigal son has claimed to be the finest story Jesus ever told, the tale of the two on the road to Emmaus must have an equal claim to be the finest scene Luke ever sketched. That's some pretty lofty, that's some pretty lofty praise. The prodigal son story, the story that we tell an awful lot in church. I used to joke with Pastor Paul that he would preach on the prodigal son every other sermon he gave here at Circle. The prodigal son and the Emmaus Road story held in a similar place. Why? What is so important about the Emmaus Road? Here's why I think that that's the case. I think that it has a great deal to teach us, and the lesson that we can pull from it is that it depicts how we hear from God. If we look at the story and we go through it line by line, 
we can see a number of different ways that God speaks to us. Definitely not an exclusive list, but a really good core of methods in which God speaks to us. So this morning, I want to focus on just one of them. But before I do that, I want to just say and I want to recognize that hearing hearing from God is one of the most important things that we do as Christians. But it is also the most difficult thing that we do. If we were to pass the mic around again, and I was to ask you, how do you hear from God? Or better yet, do you hear from God? Do you feel like you hear from God? I'm sure that we would hear more stories than road trip stories. But I'm also sure that we would hear just as much, if not more, struggles. We would hear stories of people eagerly longing to hear from God. Maybe right now in your life there's a major decision like a job change or you're moving or something major that you just want to hear from God. Or maybe you're just at a point in your life where you really just need some guidance or some encouragement so a message from God would be really helpful. Or maybe you're here this morning or watching online and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know if God is real, so hearing from him would be incredibly helpful. Hearing from God can be an absolute struggle at times. But the encouragement here is that it's not because God isn't speaking. Pete Gregg in his book on the topic of hearing of God said, the problem isn't generally, or the problem is generally not that God isn't communicating. And neither is it normally that we lack the capacity to hear. Rather, it is that we are easily, we easily get disconnected, distracted, and distant from the intimate and immediate connection we were created to enjoy. A.W. Tozer says the same thing about God. He says, God is speaking. Not God spoke, not God spoke in a different time, but God is speaking. He is by his nature continuously articulate. He fills the world with his speaking voice. The problem isn't that God doesn't speak to us today. It's that at times we get easily disconnected, distracted, and distant. So what does this road trip, this Emmaus Road story, help us with that? I think that the significance of this story is that it helps us to recognize God's voice a little bit better. And I think it helps familiarize ourselves to how God speaks. It teaches us as his sheep to better hear the voice of our shepherd. So how does God speak to these two disciples during this road trip to Emmaus. I think if we were to read this story over again and I was to ask you that question, the obvious answer is, is that God speaks through his word. Upon meeting Jesus on the road and explaining all that had happened that past weekend in Jerusalem, how does Jesus respond to that? He responds by holding a Bible study. And not just any Bible study, but a two to three hour long Bible study. If I was to do a quick poll of the room, how many of you are signing up to a two to three hour long Bible study? I assume not a lot. 
That's one long Bible study. But I think it's interesting to note that the resurrected Jesus goes straight to Scripture. And he goes straight there to help them to understand what had just happened. One of the primary ways that God speaks to us today is through the, his written word, the Bible. I know for some of you, that's not super glamorous. I know for some of you, as soon as I said, we're going to talk about how we hear from God, that's not where your mind went right away. But I think God speaks to us through the words of the Bible more than any other means. I think often we think that God speaks or we want God to speak to us through dreams or visions or an audible voice, something dramatic, which God absolutely does. And we should definitely explore that at another time. But the Bible is the language of God's heart. P. Gregg also said, nothing he says in any other way or in any other context will ever override, undermine, or contradict what he has already said in the scriptures. Jesus, in this encounter, chooses not to rely on experiential things, which we so often strive for. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important for us to remember the fact is that we can see in this story that Jesus doesn't reveal himself like that all of the time. Look at this story. Jesus doesn't meet them out on the road and immediately say, hey, it's me, it's Jesus. No, that's not what he does. But rather, he uses the scriptures to interpret who he is and what he's accomplished. He roots it all in the word of God. Jesus' use of scripture here teaches us that even the resurrected Jesus looks to the Bible for authority and truth. It also shows us here that Jesus interprets the Bible through the lens of his life, his death, and his resurrection. I believe when the Bible is interpreted in this way with Jesus as our focus, and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it has the remarkable power to speak to us directly and personally. Because remember, without Jesus, the Word made flesh, and without His Spirit breathing life into these words, they have little power. I think one of the encouragements from this story is that Jesus wants to do for each one of us what he did for the couple on the Emmaus Road. He desires to come alongside you, to come alongside me, just like he did for them. And he wants to open up the words of the Bible to you, to me, just like he did for them. And he wants to do it in a way that it burns in our hearts like it did for them. But if I can get really personal with you, for a second here, I've really struggled to hear God's word, to hear God's voice through the Bible. I've read it and I haven't always felt that it's been direct or personal. But recently, I feel like God has been speaking more through the words that through the word of the Bible than any other means to me. It's during this season I've really felt like the scriptures have come alive and been opened to me. With the combination of the pandemic and this constant focus on health over the last few years and the chaotic nature in which 2022 started for me, 
just being really vulnerable with you guys, I developed a lot of anxiety around health. And any time I would even feel remotely unwell or off, like I would just instantly get anxious. And I would just assume the absolute worst. Like, oh my gosh, I have COVID, or oh my gosh, what does this mean? Is this an illness? If you are like the person that Googles WebMD, it's a bad idea. But I would get just so anxious. And if I'm honest, it's taking a lot of mental real estate. And it was really affecting me both here at the church and at home. But it was a few months ago that I was just really struggling with it, but I needed to find ways of grounding myself in the midst of my anxiety. And so it was during this season of my life that I began to do the practice of Lecto Divina. And basically, in a nutshell, what that is, is it's the practice of reading through the Bible slowly, only a few verses at a time, and then praying through those verses. So focused and slow. It's been through this season and this practice that I felt that God has spoken, me, spoken to me through the word. A few weeks ago, I was really struggling with this health anxiety. And in my time, just reading through the words slowly and reflecting on the words, I stumbled upon a verse in the Psalms. It was the kind of verse that once I heard it, it just burned within me. Psalm 73, 26. My health may fail. Now this, this was my worry, my constant worry. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak. God remains the strength of my heart, and he is mine forever. What incredible peace these words brought me. And I'm not kidding when I say, like, it just felt like it burned inside something personal and direct. These have been words that I have repeated and reflected on often, and they've become prayers for me. An even more recent example is from this morning, which is ironic enough. So I was upstairs in my office busy rewriting things. I started a Bible reading plan in April, so that was months ago. And this morning, the scripture that I was to read was in Luke, it was the sower and the seed passage. It's a whole section of scripture talking about hearing and having ears to hear on the Sunday that I'm speaking about hearing God's voice. God is amazing. Amen? But the thing where this became personal for me and it felt direct was, it's really funny that everything else was highlighted around in this section except for one chunk of verses. That chunk of verses spoke about the seeds that fall where the thorns are and they get choked out because they're too busy worrying and too busy focused on life's pleasures. And as I read them, it was another reminder that sometimes my worry just gets in the way of hearing God's voice. And it was an encouragement that I could set those worries on God and focus in on his voice. There's no way that I could have orchestrated that. This is an example of why I'm so convinced that God wants to speak to me and he wants to speak to you through his word. These have just been my experiences of late. Like I said, I've struggled with this a lot in the past. And it hasn't always been this clear cut. And not every time I sit down in front of my Bible do I feel like God is speaking to me. But what I do know is that when we show up 
and we open up the word of God, I believe that he can speak to us from there. I believe when we do this, when we sit and we sit with his word, we're making space to hear from him. It's a way that we set aside the distractions and invite God to come alongside us. But the thing is, one of the major issues that we have as a Western society is that the Bible has become what pollster George Gallup Jr. says is the best-selling, least-read book in America. Our problem, isn't, our problem is that we don't always allow God to speak to us through his word. It's like if Jesus began opening up the scriptures to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and just as he's getting started, they say, no, thank you, I think we've got this, we're good, have a good trip. And they continued on the road without him. And they continued to navigate all of the complexities without him. With that as a mental image, why do we do the same thing? So then the question is, why do we struggle with the Bible if we know God speaks through it? Perhaps we think that it has nothing to say to us, that it's irrelevant or not applicable or outdated. Or maybe your approach to the Bible has been like mine in the past, where my goal is just to read large sections of Scripture so that I can check off my, Bible, my yearly Bible reading plan. Whatever it is, I think the biggest cause for this is that we really don't know how to read it. Do we know how to read it? This is an important question to ask. Because I believe, myself included, we all need help in this area. If this is something that you've struggled with, you're in good company. But I think that the reality is, and the invitation is, is that we can grow in our capacity to hear from God through these means. I'm by no means an expert, but speaking from personal experience, I found a couple of tools that have really helped me grow in this area recently. And they've helped me read God's word a little bit differently. So I want to share a couple of them with you today, a practical application to all of this. First, if you are not an app user and you're, you barely know how to turn your phone on, I have some suggestions for you as well. Consider getting a, a study Bible. A study Bible is a, is a version of the Bible that has footnotes that provide helpful context to what you're reading. And in some study Bibles, they even have really, really practical application to them. So as you read through your Bible, you can go right to the footnote to say, what am I reading? And how does this impact my life? Or another suggestion that I have for you, and this is more so if you want to engage in a little bit deeper study of a particular book, can I encourage you to pick up a commentary? Now, as soon as I said the word commentary, some of you were like, well, commentaries are for pastors or Bible nerds. That's not true. There are some really helpful commentaries out there. I brought up an example here. If you're looking for commentary, pick up anything by N.T. Wright within his series, For Everyone. This is Luke, For Everyone. 
This is a commentary that I used in the preparation of this message. The amazing thing about this is it's not a very thick book, and you don't need a master's in theology to approach this. But it is a wealth of knowledge that you can bring to your reading of Scripture. And my encouragement in all of this, both analog and digital, the best way to read Scripture is in community. As as you read through the Bible and you're not sure what this means or is God speaking to me through this, talk to a friend or a mentor or someone from your circle group. And if you're not in a circle group, I highly recommend getting into one because I think it's sometimes helpful to discern those things in community. So some suggestions for app users. I have two apps that you should consider downloading. They have been incredibly helpful to me personally, so I'm speaking from that personal experience. There should be some QR codes that'll pop up as I talk about it. If you're not sure how QR codes work or you miss them, come talk to me at the end of the service. I'll just be at the front. But these apps have helped me to read the Bible with both my head and my heart. The first one that I think that you should consider downloading is the Bible Project app. We have done the Bible Project here for a couple of years, and it is an incredibly helpful resource. I would actually say that there is no better resource out there that provides a comprehensive understanding of the biblical narrative. And they do amazing work to help you see themes and understand them as they're scattered throughout the Bible And they do this in a simplified way. Not simple, but simplified and easily approached. I think the best part of their whole philosophy is that they think and they believe that the Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. So they really help you to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Just like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. The second app that you should consider downloading is the Lectio 365 app. This app has really helped me to slow down and read the words of Scripture and to meditate on them and then to pray through them. Rather than my default of trying to race through as much Scripture as I possibly can. This app leads you into a rhythm of reading only bite-sized pieces of Scripture, making space to reflect on them, and then guide you how to, to pray through the Bible. It's become an important part of my day, and it's helped me to develop a new practice of how I read and pray. If we've talked recently about life, I've already recommended this app to you. So this is me doing a collective, check this out. Again, I am by no means an expert when it comes to this. And this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, because there are lots of tools that can help us grow in this area. But these tools have helped me personally as I am now approaching the Bible a bit differently. Friends, God eagerly desires to come alongside us and to speak through his written word. Maybe we just need to take intentional steps to grow in our capacity to hear. Sometimes all that it takes is for us to be present. Now, I'm not sure where, how your internal conversation is going right now, because we all have one. 
Maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, Austin, like, this isn't a super exciting concept. Or maybe you're thinking, man, maybe we should, would we be better served if we focused on something um, a little bit more expert? Or maybe we should explore other ways that God speaks to us. That would be really interesting. Or maybe you're thinking this isn't exciting or feels really kind of beginner or frankly, we should be looking at something a little bit more interesting than the Bible. Let's be honest. How many of us would rather a burning bush or audible voice experience? I think that it's important that this is an important place to start our conversation in this area. Because the fact is that God speaks in a whisper more often than he does with a booming voice. God speaks more in the ordinary than he does in the extraordinary. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that God speaks to us at all is extraordinary. But it isn't always in dramatic ways. I think we often expect God to speak to us more like he did on the road to Damascus than he does on the road to Emmaus. The road to Damascus is another one of my favorite road trip stories. It's the story of the Apostle Paul's encounter with the risen Jesus. If you know this story, it's really dramatic. There's blinding lights. Paul is flung from his horse, and Jesus speaks with a booming voice. It's incredibly dramatic. However, the reality is, for most of us, God speaks in the ordinariness of our lives. Look at the Emmaus Road story. The most dramatic thing that's happening here is that they're speaking with the risen Jesus and they don't even know it. Their hearts burned inside of them because they opened up Scripture. Nothing else. No signs or wonders. But like us, they didn't recognize that God was speaking to them. How often is God speaking to us and we don't even know it? Is it because we're looking for something else? Something a little bit more dramatic? Something that these disciples did very right. And honestly, I believe this is the only reason they even made it into the Bible. The thing that they did right is that they invited Jesus into the ordinary. One of the really funny parts of this story is that when they arrive at their house, Jesus pretends to be busy and that he's got somewhere else to go. And the humorous thing about that is he was dead the day before, so his schedule is likely empty. Rather than let him go, these disciples urge Jesus to stay. And again, they don't know that this is Jesus. How often have we been so busy and distracted that we didn't invite Jesus to come speak to us? This is one of our major hang-ups in this area. How often have we leaned into the chaos and the noise around us and missed the whisper of God and the ordinary stuff? I think we could really learn from these two disciples. However, in order for us to do that, I think that that requires us to slow down a bit more so that we have the time and the attention 
to notice God speaking to us. And that's maybe easy to say during the summer when we're at the lake or in the backyard and things are really easy and slow. But as soon as the fall kicks in, it's school and it's sports and it's dance and it's a whole host of other things. And it gets really hard. Can we slow down enough to invite Jesus to speak to us? Again, it's not that we lack the capacity to hear God, and it's definitely that not that God isn't speaking to us, but it's sometimes we just lack the time to listen because our pace is just way too fast. If God spoke to us in only dramatic ways, it would be really easy to hear him. It would be really disruptive in our lives, wouldn't it? It would throw us off our metaphorical horse at times. But look at even the example of the prophet Elijah. If God had been in the fire or in the earthquake, there would be absolutely no way to miss him. But he often comes in a whisper. And not in the dramatic ways that we, we think or we long for. I think, church, that we need to slow down enough to breathe deeply and to pause and to be like the prophet Samuel, putting our hands out and saying, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. My desire is that this is just the start of the conversation. Because again, Hearing God is the most important thing we do as Christians. My prayer is that as you slow down and intentionally listen for God to speak in ordinary ways, like through his word, that you experience your hearts burn within you from a personal and relational encounter with the risen Jesus. Again, if we look at the story, Jesus chooses to reveal himself in a relational setting around the table. And Jesus eagerly desires to reveal himself to you relationally. My friends, hearing from God can be incredibly hard at times. But again, I cannot stress it enough. It is the most important thing that we do. So as we go from here over the next few weeks, as we're not gathering here physically but online, let's consider and ponder ways that we can intentionally turn the radio up and to hear what God might be saying through his word and by his whisper. Because here's the thing, and I want to leave you with this thought. God spoke all of creation into being, spoke. And he used four words. Unless you're reading the Hebrew Bible, which, that's amazing. It's only two words. So with four English words, let there be light, God created the heavens. A hundred billion galaxies. Have you been outside recently and looked up? It's amazing. Just four words. Now pause and think for a second what would happen to you 
if he spoke a few to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your servants are listening. Would you speak to us? Lord, as we go from here, Lord, would you open the words of Scripture to us? And would we hear from you personally and directly? Father, would you help us to slow down? Would you help us to take notice of the ways that you speak in the ordinary? And God, we ask that you would also speak to us in extraordinary ways. And Lord, would our faith be strengthened from an encounter with you? So Lord Jesus, we pray again and we echo together this idea, Lord, we want to hear from you. So Jesus, would you come alongside us and would you speak to us and would it burn within us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to create space for you here. One of the things that I love about our worship time together, that it is this constant rhythm of revelation and response. That we hear from God and we're given opportunities to respond through giving, through worship, and through prayer. And so this morning, I don't know, maybe God has been speaking to you. And maybe you're here and the idea of Jesus coming alongside you on the road is something that you eagerly desire. That you're sitting here and you're like, I want Jesus to walk alongside me in life. It is just way too hard to do by myself. So if you're here and you've never invited Jesus along the journey, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. To make that less intimidating, I just want to invite everyone just to close your eyes and to bow your head. And again, this worship experience is of revelation and response. And so if you've been feeling a burning within you this morning, and you're sitting there and you're like, I really want to follow Jesus, would you let me know that so I can pray with you? If you're online, you can do that simply by pressing a button in the chat box. But if you've been feeling it as we've been talking this morning, burning in your heart that you want to say yes to Jesus, would you just put your hand up? This is just a way that we can respond, and it gives me an opportunity to know who I'm praying with. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, just put your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a relational God. And Jesus, we thank you that you desire to join us along for the journey. So Father, in this moment, we invite you into our lives. We're saying yes to you. Lord, would you speak your love over us this morning? God, would you speak the forgiveness of sin over us? And Lord, would you open the scriptures up to us so that we can hear directly and personally from you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, let's celebrate. Anytime someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, that's amazing. At this time, I just want to invite the band over, another opportunity for us to respond. But I want to leave you with this quote, and it's really funny how God works. I was just scrolling through Twitter mindlessly before the service, as one does, and I stumbled upon this quote that just felt like it was made for this morning. It's a quote from Henry Nouwen, and it goes like this. Going home is a lifelong journey. This idea that we weren't created for this world,
but for relation with, relationship with God. Going, ho- the journey, going home is a lifelong journey. And as we walk home, we often realize how long the way is, how difficult the way is. But let us not be discouraged. Jesus walks with us and speaks to us on the road. Again, how perfect of a quote is this? When we listen carefully, we discover that we are already home while on the way. So this morning, as we worship again, know that Jesus eagerly wants to speak to you. He eagerly wants to call you home. And my desire for you is that you find this intimate relationship with Jesus that you feel like you're already home. Let's worship, church.